What is up, my crew? This is the Nook Podcast. My name is Steven, and it is a privilege to have you listening today. Seriously, I've been at this for seven months now, and it still kind of amazes me that there are people who are actually listening to this. So thank you. Make sure to check the show notes for my contact information as well as a link to the Nook Facebook page. This is episode number 38, and there is nothing special about that number in and of itself. It just happens to be the current count. I mention that only to point out that even with a little over three dozen episodes out there now, I'm constantly evaluating, constantly trying to come up with new ideas. I want this podcast to be worth listening to, a value add to your life, to your faith. So while this is a hobby for me, I don't take the content lightly. I'm working on some things right now that I'm really looking forward to posting, and I'll be sharing more about that next week, so stay tuned. One thing I can tell you about is this episode. For this one, I'm talking to my friend Josh Earls. He's the lead pastor of Faith Community Church in House Springs, Missouri. He's been the pastor there for seven years now, but interestingly, it's not a job that he was looking for initially. You will hear more about that as well as what life is like for a young guy still adjusting to this leadership position and what that looks like day to day for himself, his family, and the congregation he leads. This will be what I'm hoping to be the first of many uh, interviews just like this, where we get to know that pastors are just people too. And we'll have a little bit more about that at the end of this show. But for now, settle in for my conversation with Josh Earls. Josh Earls. Yes. You got my last name right. Pastor Josh Earls. (laughs) Is that a title you're comfortable with? I'm becoming more comfortable with it. Yeah. I mean, uh, I... I grew up in an environment where everybody was brother and sister, mm-hmm. you know, brother Earls and sister Earls and all that kind of thing. So when I first became pastor, people called me brother Earls. The congregation was a bit different then. And I said, well, that's my grandfather. My grandfather was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, how about pastor? And I said, okay. But I, I always, I grew up a little bit afraid of my pastor, not the one oh, I had really? when I was here. He was just an imposing <laughs> figure. Uh, you know, and he was, and he was, uh, and so I never wanted kids to feel that way, like people to feel that way, like intimidated because of a title. Mm. So I think for a long time I was, I pushed away that title, and I would introduce myself as I'm, I'm Josh. I don't make people call me pastor, right? Um, but yeah, I'm becoming more comfortable with it. But at the same time, I don't want that to be the that to define me, right? Yeah. Because is pastor who I am, or is pastor what I do? Yeah. Well, and that's huge, and, and you know, <laughs> I, I I asked the question just based on what you've told me, and that pastoring wasn't exactly what you thought your future was going to be. No. So, no. back up a little bit. What you know? What did eighteen-year-old or twenty-two-year-old Josh think his future was going to look like? Yes. Well, at eighteen, at one point, I thought I was going to um, major in journalism. I don't know where that came from, honestly. But uh, I knew from a young age that I, I was called to do something in ministry. Mm-hmm. I, I could sense that. And I really thought I was going to be a missionary. 
And so even while I thought I was going to major in journalism, I was taking Spanish. Um, uh, that was going to be a part of my major. So I had every intention by the time I was uh, 22 graduating college mm. that I was going to be on the mission field at some point. And my fiance at the time, uh, Lauren, who's now my wife for 14 years, uh, we both thought that will be where we'll end up. Mm. We'll, we'll be on the mission field because when I was 15 or 14, my dad took me to Mexico on a mission trip with this church. And uh, I remember crossing the border from Texas into Mexico. It was a pretty incredible experience just to see how quickly the landscape changed. Oh, yeah. And everything changed over that, that just little yep. river there. You know, they call, we call it the Rio Grande. They call it the Rio Bravo, the Brave mm. River. And uh, I got to use the Spanish I was learning sure. in school. And I got to communicate with the people. Like, my dad's very gifted with his hands. I'm not. And so I became this, like, on-site translator. Mm. And uh, I just thought for sure... You know, this is the call on my life to be a missionary. And then um, I started working at Joyce Moore Ministries using my degree in Spanish. I was on the phones in Spanish and English. And I just thought, oh, this is working towards this thing. And then through a crazy series of events, uh, we ended up becoming the pastors here. Both uh, my wife and I felt like one day we would be the pastors of this church. And we had felt that separately because mm-hmm. the pastor we knew was kind of uh, – moving towards retirement no one said a word to us no one approached us because why would they we had no experience mm-hmm. at all i mean my ministry experience was working at joyce Meyer ministries on the phones english and spanish on the road in it i was in it when we got the call yeah so we were driving home one night from church on here at this where we're recording at the mm-hmm. church that i pastor and uh, i said you know lauren i've been feeling like uh, there's this recurring thought over and over again in me. She's like, I've been having a recurring thought too. And I'm like, well, what is it? She's like, you first. I'm like, no, you first. <laughs> and she's like, and I said, finally, I keep thinking, what if we were to be the pastors of this church someday? She's like, the Lord has been waking me up at night with that thought. With the same with thought? The same thought. Wow. The Lord was speaking to us separately. And so I, uh, at the time, I, I didn't know what to do with that. No mm. one had said a word. It wasn't on the horizon. And I went to uh, a guy that we both know, Lynn Stroop. Who's mm-hmm. a mentor in my life, and I said, "What do I do with this?" And he said, "You don't do anything with it. You don't do anything with it." He said, "You just," he said, "You just keep keep your hand on the uh, to the plow in the field that you're harvesting in, and if it's if it really is from the Lord, He'll bring it to pass." So, and I was like that farming, <laughs> you know, uh, analogy to me spoke to me because my grandfather grew up uh, in. Um, Poplar Bluff, Missouri, Brosley, and okay. farmed 40 acres with a mule. And he always oh, gave wow. me, he was. He ended up becoming a pastor. And he would always speak to me in those kind of metaphors, you know, like that. And uh, so it spoke to me. And I, okay, that means, God, you put me at Joyce Meyer Ministries, and that's the field you've put me in, so I'm going to work hard here. And, I, and that's what we did. And just kept praying about it. Hey, Lord, if this is you, bring it to pass. And in the meantime, I kept getting opportunities at the ministry i got an opportunity to go on the road in that time got an opportunity to go to it increase my income and yeah so we ended up getting approached by the church um because was it out of the blue i mean you're making it sound like if it was on nobody's horizon it, it wasn't on anybody's horizon there was a staff member here at the time that uh sat me down one night and said hey are you are you interested and uh interested in this and i said well it was the first time i ever um, talked about it and I said well actually um, yes it was the pastor's son who was on staff I said yes uh, the Lord has been speaking to Laura and I for the past couple of years and so uh, he went to his father and said hey why don't you consider this and then we had a meeting 
shortly thereafter with him and his dad and, and uh, with uh, his father and, and uh, his mother at the time, you know, and I could tell really quickly that he was meeting with us as more of like a, um, I've known Josh since he was 10. Mm. You know, I could, it wasn't a, a pity meeting. It was just, I could tell he wasn't convinced this was the way to go. I mean, because we had no experience. He pastored right. this church for 32 years. I, I worked at Joyce Meyer Ministries with a degree in Spanish and a minor in theology. And, uh, but you had also, I mean, for whatever that looks like on a resume, you had attended this church since you were since I was ten, a wee lad. Yeah, so I grew up. I grew up here. So he mm-hmm. was meeting with us. He was very gracious. I could just get a sense that, mm-hmm. you know, he wasn't committed. And I was like, well, maybe we didn't hear from God. Uh huh. <laughs> and or maybe the, you got the wrong number. Maybe you got the wrong number. <laughs> and so we just kept. I kept doing what Pastor Lynn said. Keep my hand to the plow in the field I'm harvesting in, and. Eventually, what happened is, is Pastor Ed was encouraged uh, by someone who said, "Listen to the message," because every time I preached for him, he was out of town. Uh, you know, so so at least you had spoken here. Oh yeah, I preached here. He gave me my first chance to preach. Okay, um, he had, he had pre- played a profound role in my life, and so he had seen me grow up and mature. A funny story is uh, I had applied to be the youth pastor a few before I got hired at JMM, and, and I, they didn't hire me because he didn't think I had enough experience. Mm. Rightfully so. A number of years later, he hires me to be the lead pastor. I don't have any experience. <laughs> you just leapfrog right I, over I leapfrog. So he listened to me preach, and he said, "Oh wow, Josh, since you've gone to college and." you know, graduated, you're far more mature mm. than when I heard you speak as a 16-year-old. Yeah. And rightfully so. I would hope that I was mature. Right. <laughs> so then the Lord, he said the Lord really began to speak to his heart. And so it became a more serious discussion. And they brought us into a process that was with the board and the elders. Mm. And we went through a year and a half process oh, wow. while I was still working at JMM. And mm. so then it goes through this whole process here at the church and all these meetings and all this kind of stuff, and they finally say, okay, we're ready to bring you on for the purpose of transitioning into being the lead pastor. We did an 18-month transition, and I came on part-time, and then I had to leave JMM to come here full-time. And there was no guarantee we were going to be the pastor. All of this culminates in a congregational vote when he decides to leave. So we do that, and then I come in, and that started the process of learning how to be a lead pastor. I didn't know anything. I led a customer service team at JMM of 15 people, and then now we're sitting at a church at the time was probably 700 or so, six 700, and a million-dollar-plus budget. I, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I'd never preached more than three times in a year. <laughs> I'd never led a staff. I'd never been in a board meeting, and so I just started learning and learning. And That was all part of that 18 months? That yes. Was that ramp-up? Yeah, it was that okay. ramp-up. And then what happened is um, he started to, as he started to be gone more, so I was leading staff. Uh, I was in board, for when I first started going to board meetings. He said, "Just basically sit over there and be quiet. <laughs> Don't say anything." <laughs> Had me learn. <laughs> told you. <laughs> I told yeah. Just observe, Josh. And then he would do things like, "Okay, these are some changes that I think we need to make." But I want you in the board meeting. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about it, and I think this is what you should say. So he would set me up to succeed. Mm. And and uh, then he also asked me at one point, he said, Josh, what changes do you want to make? And I said, well, I think we should do this. And he got up there and sold and did these changes that I didn't have the credibility to make. Mm. And so he 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 was... An, so he endorsed your... He, oh, yes, from day one. He took a lot of arrows and shots for me. Mm. Uh, I have a, a great amount of love and admiration for him. And so we did that. And then I started preaching once a, a month, then twice a month then three times a month, and then I was doing the sermon series, and he was just coming in and preaching 
as part of the series. So by the time the vote came, he wasn't even living in here in, in the area anymore. He oh, had a wow. farm down near uh, in Zalma, Missouri. It's near, near Cape Girardeau. Okay. And so he was living down there, just coming up once a month, and uh, we were just doing this thing, slipping into that emeritus yeah kind of role. Yeah, and then we had a vote, and he had told the church. He said, "Look, you're going to vote. Whether if you vote no, I'm not staying on Josh. Mm. You know, Josh and Lauren." I'm out, guys. I'm yeah. done. 32 That's years. That's the given. <laughs> yeah. Hasta luego. I'll see you later. And uh, he, uh, so we voted, and it was an, an 87% or 84% or something like that vote. Yes. And uh, he drove off the parking lot. And that's how our journey, that's how we got here. Wow. And uh, yeah, and then we gave us a five-year term. Um, and then we got, uh, after that, it was indefinite. So I don't have to be voted on anymore. That's nice. Oh, I tell you. <laughs> Did you feel that for five years? I mean, was it in the back of your mind? No. Um, the first the, the, the first time they voted, you know, was was really hard because um, we had put everything in this basket. Like, yeah. no, I'm going to do this for 18 months. I was going to say, that's, that, that's where the faith yeah. set in. Yeah, it's like if, if they vote no today, I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. I don't have a church. I don't have a place to live because they have a parsonage, and we were living in the parsonage, uh. too. It was paying off student loan debt. So I got, I got, and then my family has no place to be because I'm not going to stay. <laughs> no pressure is really what you're saying. I literally, when that vote came through, yes, my wife and I, we felt every muscle in our body oh, relax. Yeah. I knew instinctively, I think, upon reflection, I've got five years to prove prove myself. Like I'm a, a three on the Enneagram. I don't know how much you or your listeners pay attention to that, but that's that achiever, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I and I want to win. Yeah. And I thought, okay. Uh, I've got two things I want to win, and number number two, I've grown up here. I have a lot of respect for those who've gone before us, and especially from Pastor Ed. We can't go backwards, and the greatest thing that we can do in five years is keep building upon the foundation that mm-hmm. was was laid for us. And so, the first four years, I didn't feel it. I felt, I think, I feared failure more than getting voted out. If that makes sense. Like if if I'm going to go down on a vote, I'm going to go down doing the what I believe God called us to do. And moving this church forward so that it can succeed and it doesn't die, hmm. you know, because churches don't survive transitions a lot. And specifically, yeah. when it's uh, he was here thirty-two years, he wasn't the founding pastor, but in everybody's mindset, he was the founding pastor. Well, 30, 32 years is no short time. No, on, on any scale. No, not at all. And every statistic pretty much says I would be a sacrificial lamb. Like mm-hmm. I'm the guy that comes in, gets beat up for a year and a half, and goes out so the next person can come in and. And do it, and I think because of the transition and the way he led that, um, that didn't happen. So it was just like, okay, we got to make these changes. Because I had a, I had a, uh, an instinct, and I'm gonna say this was the Lord. I, I, I just, I could see we had no debt, uh, we had money in the bank. He left us in a very good financial position, um, and but yet, the church in a transition, which I think this happens in all transitions. Or I say the majority. I can't say all. Is you come to a, a standstill. You're a you're a plane circling circling the runway because you have to maintain in the midst of this transition. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of forward momentum. At least in our case, there wasn't. So it was like I don't know if you ever read Jim Collins, any mm-hmm. of his books, but that cranking the flywheel. Yep. We had to get that momentum going because I thought we we're going to die with money in the bank and people in the seats. We're dead and we don't know it. Or we're on the. I had that sense. So we need to, we need to get younger and. Um, and we need to start going after people who, who 
aren't uh, in the church yet, mm. you know, in kind of that fresh life and evangelism. And none of that is a critique of of the previous pastor. I think it's a, the life cycle oh, sure. of a church. So I was just like, we've got to do this and we've got to do this. And so we were just focused on that. But that fourth year, I did feel the pressure. I was less risky mm. because I thought I got to get voted in. <laughs> That's the unfortunate nature of it. Right. I didn't go campaign, but I wasn't as willing to say. Yeah. But at the same time, there's got to be that looming yes you know that you're you're entering an, an election year yes very much so <laughs> and and do you have the uh the chutzpah to yeah. to survive another vote yeah well and you said something that you didn't want to fail right did how would you define failure it's and, good... and i'm not trying to just harp on a negative but no you had to have something in your mind that says well i just don't want to do that yeah um there's a bit more of a pathology to it for me that I've discovered <laughs> oh, pathology. via counseling uh, that I started this past year, which has been wonderful, is is that for me, failure was always a motivator. Mm. I feared failure um, in everything. And I learned how to use that fear of failure as fuel you know, to succeed. Mm. For example, I, I, uh, I did, always did really well in school, got good grades, but every year I was afraid I was going to fail. Mm. And I thought, okay, to prove to myself that I won't fail. And I never defined what failure was. Oh, okay. I never defined it. But uh, I was so driven to succeed. Like, I'm going to get straight A's. A B. I could. I saw B as failure. Wow. You know? It was <laughs> so... You're one of those. <laughs> I, I am. Unfortunately, I am. And Dude, so, I, was, I was happy with C's. <laughs> I passed. Yeah. No, it was like anything less than than this mark that I was able to achieve. And then in sports, you know, I was afraid I wasn't going to start, so I would just work hard mm. and to be bound and determined that I'm not going to be the guy riding the bench. You know, I'm not going to be that guy. I was never a jerk about it to other people, you know, but it drove me to the point where, like, it, I would physically, every year before school and before, like, football, I would throw up in the initial stages because I had that much anxiety mm. about failure. And so... I, I never took the opportunity to define what failure was. I just thought if the church loses money and loses mm. people, I don't know how right that is, but from a business sense, sure. the two things have to happen. We've got to have people coming and we've got to have money coming in. You know, And I think failure ultimately would have been if I would have unfortunately not been able to transition the church uh, and it grow yeah. and be better than, than it was and do justice for, for to Ed, who had led the church. Um, and so I, I was just bound and determined for that, but it's it's really a hard thing to maintain because yeah. then everything becomes about not failing, and no success is ever good enough. Hmm. Nothing is ever good enough. Did, and, did that did that stick with you, or did you ever feel like you hit you know fifth gear and okay, we've got a rhythm, we've got momentum, we've yes. Got, we went through we went through a period of time where I would define as failure, but uh, uh, when we made some changes and like three hundred people walked out the door, we mm-hmm. lost three hundred thousand dollars in yearly tithe income, and we had just decided to do this children's renovation. This whole area, we were moving in what I felt like the direction God said, and it was like people were out, mm-hmm. and I was like convinced though that it's what God wanted us to do, but nothing in the natural was reflecting yeah. that, <laughs> and and the height of that, the height of that. And this gets back to this will lead into your question about fifth gear. As I came over this, to the uh, church, because I used to practice my messages on Saturdays, I'd come mm. and preach to an empty room because I just wanted to get back. I didn't want to fail. Right. 
right? Didn't want to fit. What is that? I don't know, but I don't want to suck. You don't even want to, you don't even want to look at it. <laughs> I don't even want to look at it. So I'd preach in an empty room and practice it. And I came over. I'd had a, some difficult conversations with some people that told me effectively, you're going to ruin the church. Everything <sighs> you're doing is wrong. You know, they seem nice. They were nice. <laughs> and, I, and I told them, I said, um, you know, I'd rather do this with you than without you, but either way, we're moving forward. Hmm. You know, it's just, I don't know where that came from, but I'll tell you what, what happened after that. I was like Elijah, because I came over here and I laid on the stage and I just cried. Because hmm. I thought, God, if you don't show up, we're done. Like, we can't maintain this burn rate. How this, far in were you at that point? That's in between year two and three. Oh, wow. We can't maintain it. I knew we couldn't. But I thought you called us to it. And I literally felt like the Lord said, get up. Get up. Hmm. Get up, son. I'm going to preach tomorrow. And I didn't feel like he was mean at all. And I stood up, and the words that came out of my mouth were, you are my shepherd. Hmm. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And that's what I said in that day. I cried my stuff out. I preached my, my message to an empty room. And I came back the next Sunday, and like, I'm not quitting. You know what I mean? I'm not mm-hmm. giving up. Let's go. And things started to turn around. Um, so pe- you can mark it. I mark really, it. To that day. To that day was a change in me. was like, okay, God, either you're faithful or you're not. Hmm. You know? And if we're going to go down, I'm going to go down. I don't want to say swinging. Sure. But you know what I mean? That, that, yeah. That, yeah. And so after that, people started showing up. And uh, the uh, different people, new people started showing up. Younger people started showing up with kids, and and we started to grow. And we grew back. We we grew back. We we eclipsed all the people we lost and more. Mm. And the last thing to catch up were the finances. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we were hitting and moving and and going, and and the church grew beyond where it was when I took over. And and we were rocking and rolling, and then COVID hit. So. Yeah, I thought so we were really fine. So even with that renewed determination in you and all the things that did look like momentum, did they stop or did it just change the you know, the skyline of what you were already looking at and where you thought you were headed? Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you mean with COVID? Yeah. Yeah, um, I would say that... It, the momentum didn't stop. I mean, in one sense, everything stopped. But yeah. I think it was just a great opportunity for me, at least, to say, okay, I put so much time and energy on these particular metrics, mm. you know, that um, we need to really look and see what success is. If I, I, I didn't, hadn't adequately defined failure, I never really adequately designed success. They were both moving targets. Mm. Oh, sure. You know, and I discovered that, too, uh, no matter what growth barrier we broke and no matter what amount of money came in, I still didn't feel any better. Mm. Like nothing, it ever, it never produced what it promised. It was uh, just a reminder that I'm not somewhere else. That's a word. Right? <laughs> I can turn on my phone and I can look at another church and they've already done this and they've already done that and I'm not there, yeah. you know, and you're always comparing yourself. And so I think it was just an opportunity to, to step back and say, what is success? You know, how do we define that? Right. And are we, are we really loving these people that are coming to the church? I say we. Let me just say I. Am I really loving them or am I just using them mm. in a way to accomplish my own desires and feel better? Right. You know, like I heard Craig Rochelle say, the only people that like full rooms are preachers and politicians. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I feel a lot better when the room's full. And then, then you got to. Well, and even acknowledging that, does it also become equally convicting? Yes. 
Oh, 100%. 100%. It became equally convicting. And I remember sitting on my couch watching myself preach during COVID, you know, because we all pre-recorded and mm-hmm. then ways to manage that. And I felt the Lord say, you know, you put a lot of time in becoming a good communicator. Now let me teach you how to be a pastor. Mm. It was a performance. Yeah. Effectively, everything I was performing because I wanted to avoid failure. And then that's when I ended up in a counselor's office saying, you know, this what served me in my 20s for success is killing me in my 30s right you know i can't i can't keep doing this because i discovered that uh, the fear of failure i was always looking for an enemy to compete with so that's was, hardcore yeah i was looking for an enemy did you watch the last dance uh documentary on the bulls they did on, oh yes absolutely you remember michael jordan talking about how he would find a slight or create yep. a slight yeah i didn't realize i was doing that too i could just assume you're against me all right, Steve, you're against, you don't like, okay, I'll prove you. I'll, this will be the best podcast you've ever had in your life because you don't against me. That's how ridiculous it was. And it's like, how do you pastor people that you don't even love, that you view them as your enemy? So I just assumed you didn't like me. I assumed you weren't going to like me. I assumed you were going to have a problem with the decision that I made. And it just would fire me up, you know? Wow. And But I wasn't aware of it hmm. until I became aware of it. Right. And I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, that's got to be exhausting. I mean, yeah. literally... At, at, at all levels. I mean, that's mentally exhausting, spiritually crazy exhausting. Yes. And even, I mean, that I, I would imagine that even something like that had to shake down into your family life when when everything seems to be based on some kind of friction. Yeah, 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 uh, 100%, you know, and um, I, I'm not an, a real, like, argumentative person kind of a thing. I like to keep the peace, but what I realized is, is that I was creating tension and even in my marriage, because sometimes I would, like, since the performance becomes transactional like hey lauren i uh i did all the dishes i did all these things mm. so what do i get in return you know yep. and it was transactional not to say i didn't love my wife but i didn't realize i was doing these things you're keeping score i was keeping score yeah and i didn't realize that and she's like you you have such a negative narrative in your head that like the oh. only reason that i love you or i'm with you is because you performed you performed wow you know, and then then you realize I, I realize I I have a hard time just being loved, and that people really like me and want to be around me, apart from what I bring to the table. Well, in that transaction, which true, I mean, at the risk of making that sound, I don't know, clinical, <laughs> you can go there. It's fine with me. <laughs> um, that's truly the transaction we should be after. Mm. That I'm just I'm here to serve. Oh, yeah. and you're gonna serve me back, or yeah. I'm gonna love you. Oh, wow, how cool! And you love me back, and we just do this because. Literally, we're supposed to. Um, not that it becomes obligatory, but that it becomes, man, that's that's what God called us to do. And you yeah. slip into that gear, and I'm not saying life gets rosy, but it's got to be a whole lot easier yeah. when you're working from a place of love instead of working a place for, for love. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 100%. That's the journey I've been on the last uh, year. Yeah, it's almost been a year since I went to counseling. So how deep, now, how long have you been the pastor here? Seven years. Seven years. It was seven years in June. Okay. Um, is this the foreseeable future for Josh Earls? Or is that, are you going to just play the God card and say that that's in <laughs> his hands? Well, yeah, in one sense, it's in his hands. Um, I never I never got into this thinking how long it would be. I, I mm. did think once I got the, the indefinite vote that it would it would answer so many questions, but it created more. Oh, it sure. was, you know, okay, God, now how long am I going to be here? It was like when I had the five years, I knew the, I knew what the field looked like. 
I knew mm. where the boundaries were. I knew what yeah. I needed to do to hit pay dirt. You give me indefinite. I don't know how to win. Mm. You know, and, and fundamentally, I want to know how to win, how to be successful, how to move forward. So I, I, I don't know. I'm not looking to go anywhere else. You don't um, have an exit plan. I don't have an exit plan. I do okay. have a. I do have a, a a model though. I was really praying about that, and I said, Lord, you got to you got to speak to me about how to plan out like the rest of my life to some degree. Like I'm willing to say if you want you to go where you want me to go. And I was reading in Numbers, and I think it's chapter eight, I believe. He gives uh, instructions for the priests. They could begin making sacrifices and serving at this age, but by the age of 50, they could no longer make sacrifices. Hmm. And if they wanted to serve, they could stand at the door and guard while the younger priests did all the work. And I really felt like that, after reflecting on it, was a model for me to say, okay, by 50, I want to stand at the door. That Hmm. the church won't need my back anymore. They'll need more, they will benefit more from what's in my head and my heart. Uh, having learned and all that, that let's let some younger people do the hard work. You know, they have the energy and the stamina right. and let me use. So I'm thinking in terms of that, that's 14 years for me. Uh, what would it look like? I'm not saying to leave, leave the church, but to stand at the door, mm-hmm. you know? And I think, I just see that for me, when I saw that, that was a generational transfer of leadership built in that God was saying, I'm not going to let the priesthood age out. Yeah. You know, and I think we're, we're in danger of that. In, oh, this, sure. in this country, the priesthood is aging out and young people aren't signing up to, yeah. <laughs> to get does involved that, in this lifestyle. Does that give you a different optic uh, for just how you view people? And I, I I know where I'm going with this, but I don't know if I can explain it. That does it keep does it give you an eye to say, God, help me keep a sensitivity for who I might start to impart to? It is beginning to do so. I think as I'm I'm coming to terms with that and seeing that like, oh, wow, I'm only leading this thing to give it away. And but yeah, that's healthy. That is healthy. It is rather than looking at it like I got to make sure I build this kingdom, you yeah. know, for, for whatever reason so that, you know, it looks good when I'm here. But yeah, it, you start to do look at people differently. Like what has God called you to do and how does my role? I think it really shifted more from like, being a person who preaches to thinking more of like a father, mm. you know, and that a father is, is looking to keep the family go, going. And not only that, they want their sons and daughters to, to, to achieve more yeah. and have fundamentally more than what they had. Right. So how do we do that in a way where they don't become dependent, you know, like on that, but they, they still maintain the relationship, but they, they know that this father is for them and pushing them and mm. calling things out of them. And so, I, I've been I've been trying to step into that idea more of like okay it's incumbent upon me as a leader to not just expect people to do what they should do but yeah. to call it out in them and I don't mean negatively no. things it's just, this is what I see this is who you are I think fathers tell us who we are right and I would I would say I believe that we have a generation that's over mothered and under fathered oh the, absolutely you know and I, and I'm not even trying to talk about you know, specific roles, but just mm-hmm. in general, yep. you know, there's a dearth of a fathering type spirit and mentality. And even in the church, much oh, yeah. less culture. And I That's think it's a long answer to your question. Oh, but <laughs> yeah, but it totally makes sense because I think you're absolutely right in, in that that's something that reverberates very long term. And again, I feel like I have to come back to, I'm not trying to just harp on the negative, but that is definitely something we're reaping in mm-hmm. the now. Um, and I would even go so far as to say, because I feel like 
and, and I will always say we, I don't ever want to be the rock throwing guy. I think we are lacking in discipleship. Yes. Um, to the point where we don't, it, it's kind of like what you were saying. I didn't know what I didn't know. I think we, we've lacked in that depth of discipleship for so long that we don't even know we're missing it anymore. And yeah. I, I, absolutely say that of myself i am trying to figure out ways god how do i get discipled i know i have my responsibilities as a believer that i i need to be in the word yeah and again it's not an obligation what an honor that is to read god's word and pray and all those things but i also need to have somebody who's a mile ahead of me pouring in yeah and i don't have that right now mm. and i want it and i hope that others <laughs> however god gets them to that point find that realization and yeah. there's there's my tangent um oh that's excellent <laughs> uh i i wish that's my hope is that we develop get that back yeah and i know that it's got to look a whole lot different than it ever did it has to because you know there's so many genies out of the bottle <laughs> <laughs> you know we're never going to get back to 1952 for po- sure pollyanna hey dad uh I don't know. I feel like I've been through an interesting renaissance. We, I think I spoke to you about this when we had lunch a couple of weeks ago, that the last two, three years has been this new awakening for me. It's, it's a big motivation why I'm even doing this podcast, mm. that I want to have these conversations that sometimes we got to talk about some of the messes. Yeah. Uh, or we're never going to move forward. And it... <laughs> I, I love that I can say that you and I have a friendship that goes back a few years, but it's not like we've hung out. We've just literally right. recently reconnected, but obviously there was something that we, we know we can draw from and get into a deep conversation in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> that doesn't always happen. No. Not that's, at all. Again, and that's I, I don't want to overhype it, but that's what a gift that is. And that's when I was like, okay, I, I got to get Josh on the podcast because I know we can riff for hours and hours. And, you know, it's almost more like, what what do I whittle this down to? Um, so you've been here seven years. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you, you've got to seek God when you're, you're planning out that calendar and you're figuring out what series and when. Um, how much do you have to filter what you see in culture, what you catch in the news. Mm. Um, or is it just, you're just waiting for that download from God and, and you're seeking his direction. Or do you also kind of just have to keep one eye out the window of what are people fired up about? Or what are they stressing yeah. about? What are they happy about To I don't know. It just feels like you can almost live in a, in a weird, ever-shifting Venn diagram oh, of yes. what's what's God saying, what are the people saying, yeah. what's what's the news saying, and I'm trying to figure out where I am in the middle of this and how do I craft a message that somebody's still uh, thinking about on Tuesday. I think from, it's interesting to reflect, but the moment 2016 happened till now. Is uh, that when you started? No, that's oh. when the presidency changed. And, oh, okay. And, um, and, I, and I'm not going to be political here, but but Trump was a very unique figure uh, in the Oval Office. Yep. And we've never had, I say never. In my lifetime, I can't remember a more polarizing figure. That's the word I was uh, just thinking. Polarizing figure. Beyond polarizing. Yeah, beyond polarizing. And that's not an in, uh, necessarily a critique and an indictment of his entire presidency, but uh, it, it was revealed to me, uh, at least, the divide 
that existed in the nation. I don't oh, yeah. think he caused anything. He's the well, and revealed. it seemed to get more divided. It seemed to get more divided daily. Daily, and it was interesting. I, I read a study. Uh, this is my another tangent. I read a study that was saying for years they could they looked at Google searches, and they yeah. saw that Google searches people were already searching such divisive issues and their like uh, their criteria. It's just what happened is is there became a now here's a megaphone for you to be able to speak out loud about what you were searching yep. in Google. So people were already had these viewpoints. They just were emboldened, both sides, oh, yeah. right, vehemently to 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 share that. And I, I say that because for me, observing like social media, and I was I've never been a big participant in social media. I've just been one who looks at it and consumes it. Well, it's funny you say that because I feel like that's part of why we lost touch is I know you got rid of Facebook. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I tell, and I'll tell you why. I got rid of Facebook because I saw like people, the conflation mm. of politics and Christianity, where yep. politics began to inform their their Christianity rather than the other way around. Yeah, I saw that unfold and I'm like, this is crazy. You exponentially. Know, exponentially. And I'm not saying I've never been victim of that. I've done that. Mm. But I'm like, this is very concerning to me. And then I would see people that I knew, especially when COVID hit and stuff, the what they were saying on Facebook and what they were posting and the way they were acting. I'm like, I feel like if I'm not careful, I'm going to address this unintentionally in a message. Mm. And I can't lead people that I read. I can't I can't have in my mind what you posted on Facebook when I'm getting up to preach. Like, I can't do it. I, I can't. I'm not saying they're that they're wrong. I don't have a person in mind. Mm-hmm. I'm just like I got to separate myself from the this. And I heard someone say like social media is the bathroom wall of society right now. Oh, it is. It's what you people you know post because it it dehumanizes you because yeah. you don't have to look the person in the face. Like yep. you know well, I, yeah because we all became published authors. We did, and we could without a, a, without an editor. <laughs> without an editor, yes. Without a filter, I heard someone mm-hmm. say the other day like there should be a feature on social media that when you hit send. It, there comes like a 20-second uh, break that <laughs> says, and it asks you a question, do you really want to post this? If the person that you were saying this to was sitting right in front of you, yeah, looking you in the eye, would you still write this? Right. And it's like, wouldn't that be a great feature on social media? And so... Yeah, any developers listening, yeah. uh, please take that to heart. Yeah, I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> but all that, your question to preach was, I really made a commitment for myself and we'll see how this works out in in time, right? Truth in time. I'm not going to speak to an issue on Sunday that popped up on Tuesday mm. without Scripture being the ultimate foundation for it. Because I've discovered in seven years of preaching, very limited, how incredibly relevant Scripture is oh, yeah. and how it speaks to all these issues. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. Yep. We're not experiencing anything today that humanity hasn't experienced. We're experiencing it a different way, mm-hmm. right? A different pace, you know, maybe compounded by certain things, but humanity is humanity. Yep. The commitment for me was I just made that commitment like, no, 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 God, you, you've got to inform this. Mm. I can't, I, I cannot stand up here and promote any other ideology than, than, you know, the character of God and what he's revealed in his word. Yep. And I remember Tim Keller, you know Tim Keller? Oh, yeah. He said that. I mean, not personally, but <laughs> I don't know him personally either. <laughs> but he made a statement that he said, "Okay, if you're a Republican, uh, you are going to uh, really kind of appreciate the ethics of Scripture, right? Mm. You're going to you're going to really appreciate the ethics of Scripture." He said, "But if, and if you're a Democrat, you're really going to appreciate the justice, you know, of Scripture." But he said, "If you're a Democrat, you're really going to struggle with the ethics 
and the strict ethics of Scripture, right? There's no, it's not up for discussion, really, like yep. what's right and wrong. And if you're a Republican, you're probably really going to struggle with some of the justice that God talks about in Scripture. And I thought it was a really great statement because it was like, okay, Scripture should inform my politics. My politics should not inform Scripture. Yeah. All that to say, Steve, I think I'm really getting off topic, but I just really felt pressured, not from any individual. I felt pressured as a pastor to have to support the political opinion of somebody or the decision that they wanted to make you know yeah. about yeah. that and i just felt like i i can't i can't do that i don't want to think for you what i want you to do is i want you to seek the face of god and what would he say what is the yeah. holy spirit saying in all this well and, and it's that's one of the interesting things to me because i do see it in social media that the bigger the platform the bigger the microphone whatever that you know that medium is there's always going to be a group of people who are waiting for you or for that guy, yeah. that woman, to make her statement on X and yeah. then on Y because I, I think you nailed it. People are waiting for you to do their thinking for them. Yeah. And I I hate, I, there's, honestly, there's a part of me that hates to even acknowledge that because I feel like we have abdicated so much of our, of our decision-making. We've abdicated so much of our faith. Yeah. Like when somebody says to you, would you pray for me about this? It's like, have you prayed about, mm. you know, is it, is there ever anything weird for you when somebody says, pastor, oh. please pray for me? Like you've got a better line to God, to God than, yeah. than me, because I just sit in the fourth row. So I'm going to ask you to do it. Yeah. It always feels weird to me. Um, I, I always say, I always ask myself, do they feel confident enough that God will hear them just as he will hear me? But I recognize the comfort of the position, you know what I mean? Uh, the weight of being a pastor, what that does for somebody, you know, that, okay, it's comforting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I do I do kind of think, you know, God wants to speak to you. And I think he wants to speak to you personally more than he wants to speak to me, through yeah. me to you. Right. Um, so, yeah. Well, that's your Sunday gig. I mean, truly. Yeah, yes. I, I, I agree, yeah. Yeah. But... That's I don't know. To me, that's much more healthy, and obviously, that's a word I'm going to overuse. But it's it's a much healthier thing for you to uh, portray that to a congregant. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, I don't have a direct line. I don't have any better access than you, and I'd much rather you experience that 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 connection that yeah. you that there's no category for. Right. Infinitely more than you know. Okay, let me. I'll do it for you. Yeah. You, you've got kids. You know what it's like yeah. to when the kid learns the skill that you had to show them so that you can step back and go, see, look at how good you are. Yeah. Tying your shoes or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. Uh, you had talked about how pastoring wasn't necessarily something that you had considered. Yeah. Is there a, a childhood friend or even a teacher, like from your childhood or maybe even high school, that you've lost touch with it. If you bumped into them today and you said, and they said, well, what, what, what are you doing now? I'm, I'm actually the pastor of faith community that they would be just, what? Is, is there somebody from your past that would just be blown, blown away by what you do now? Uh, no, no, I think no. And I don't say that like arrogantly in any way. I think it was more so they could always see it 
Hmm. Uh, they're not surprised. Even people that I went to high school with that I talked that aren't believers, they're like, oh, yeah, it makes so much sense, you know, that you would do something like that. I think it was running from a stigma hmm. or, or a what I had seen and what I didn't want to be. Maybe that failure thing. Yeah. You know, how can you fail if you never go that direction, right? So right. cut it off at the... That, yeah, no, I think people, oh, yeah, totally see that. So that people would have already known that trajectory yeah. for you. Yeah, because I mean, all my friends and even in high school and things like that, they knew of my faith. I was never the kid that was, like, you know, evangelizing. Mm. I, but I talked about my faith, you know, when it made sense. And Not a soapbox guy. No, I never was. I was one of those guys that I didn't even like going to see you at the poll because <laughs> I thought it was goofy, like... I got to sit there and stare at all my friends and pray. Right. Like, well, you that, awkwardly look at your shoes. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not saying it's bad. I just didn't enjoy that kind of thing. But I found yeah. um, I've always loved conversation. And mm-hmm. even when I played football, I would uh, be talking to, you know, somebody on the team after practice or after a game. We'd just get into a conversation in the locker room or something, and it would be about life. And the belief, my faith at that point would, would play a role. Yeah. And it was via relationship you know that that happens so um no i think yeah I, it surprised me though sure my, my mom prayed when i was born that i'd be like my grandfather my her mm. her father-in-law who was a pastor she prayed i'd have that temperament that i would have that and he that's what yeah he was the consummate pastor uh, uh amazing man so so then i would imagine that that really helps you define the role because i don't know i've i've spoken many a time I remember I spoke at my mother's funeral and my sister, who works for Focus on the Family, comes up to me after she goes, why aren't you a pastor? <laughs> and I said, I can get up and talk, but right. there's, that's not that's not pastoring to me. No. I mean, you've, you've the, obviously yeah. figured it out that it is that kneecap to kneecap thing and not, well, yeah, I can do three points of poem and a prayer every week. and That's, that's the easiest part. Mm. Do you Be- think that that would surprise a lot of people? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I don't know why. Maybe because public speaking like is so feared by a yeah. lot of people. Um, Isn't that number two after like going to the dentist? Or I think something? so. I think so. <laughs> I think they would. But I think you understand why I say it's easy. The easiest part. Yeah. Because right? I'm in con- <laughs> I'm in control. Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit's doing His yes. thing, but you have to listen to me. Right. I don't have to run what I'm going to preach by you. Now, obviously, if it's wrong, you're going to call me out. I would yeah. hope, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to deal with people. Hmm. I was going to say, you you get to put that all together in your own little yeah. vacuum of sorts. That Yeah, I view it as, I really view speaking, this is me, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm some amazing communicator. I view it as my craft. Hmm. I view it as like uh, a reflection of, of who I am. Like this is what I, I, I feel like it's a creative space for me. And I want to do such a good job at it that I approach it like that. That, you know, that this is... Here, but that's not pastoring. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a piece of it, but I find if if I can say this, if it makes sense, I I, uh, I called someone yesterday, a guy in the church. It's uh, getting ready to have open heart surgery. He mm. he called and he's a sweet man, him and his wife, and I haven't seen him much because of COVID and and things like that. But he called and he just really wanted to make sure I knew that he was going to have surgery. Mm. And uh, the lady that handles all of our pastoral care, she sent me a message and she said, I think it would mean so much to him, Josh, if you called him, just to pray with him. So I called him yesterday on my day off. I called him. And I spent 15 minutes on the phone with him. And he was so appreciative. 
it meant it meant the world to him and he, he was so encouraging to me like you're doing i watch you every week pastor josh and he's in his 60s you know and mm. and you're doing this and it's just he encouraged me and then uh i prayed for him and um you know all this kind of stuff i hung up and i just felt like in those when i do those things nobody sees i'm not talking about it to get credit i feel like the lord just says that's what it's about yeah i'm proud of you that's what i see you know that's what this is about it's not about how many people watch your sermon right it's about do you love my people you know what i mean yeah do you take care of the sheep and and i've just felt in those moments like that's what it's more about like that's if i can't if i if i stop doing that and i stop appreciating people you know that would just just want to say thank you or just want to say hey you know Mm -hmm. be an encouragement or whatever you know I don't know if I'm making sense but it's those things that are really I think is what pastoring all about Uh, is it fair to say that that's where you see the greater responsibility in what you do I do it's that care yeah it's the care and and I can talk about it in a message it's easy it doesn't cost me anything but can I do it can I live it out As I wrapped up this conversation with Josh, it occurred to me that we are really close to October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month, if you are not aware. So consider this a programming note. For the month of October, I will be talking to four different pastors. They are in four different parts of the country, each with their own perspective on the capital C church that we are all a part of and how things shake out in each of their perspective churches. I think that you will appreciate the honest takes that each of them will bring to these episodes, and I hope that the discussions will help us all to appreciate these folks who are so dedicated to helping us get connected or stay connected to God. If you've got any questions or comments about this episode, you can drop me an email at steven at nookpodcast.com. That address is in the show notes along with links to the Nook Facebook page and to my social media feeds if you feel like following along. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you here next time in the Nook. The Nook Podcast is a production of Sozo Digital Media.